Father, I pray that you will speak into our hearts as we continue in worship. For your grace and mercy, we ask this. Amen. Our journey with Christ is not, is not a pathway of perfection. Our journey with Christ is a pathway of growth and change and transformation. And, and the end goal, the goal of our journey with Christ is not to be perfect in everything that we do. It's not to come to the place where we can check off the list and we do everything exactly the way we're supposed to. But rather, our, our, our journey with Christ, the goal of it, is to become more and more open to Christ so that we experience the grace and the love and the transforming power of Christ to make us what he created us to be. And it's in that relationship that we find the joy. Because the journey with Christ is all about relationship. Relationship is not just how we think and how we feel. It is also what we do. And God's purposes for us and his designs for us are that in the thinking and in the acting and in the speaking, in all that we are, we would bear the image of Jesus. And it's in that image that we find the joy God desires for us. The problem is we keep sabotaging the relationship. We get self-absorbed, self-centered. We are all about self-interest and selfishness. All of these things that block us from receiving everything that God wants to do in us. And so because of that, God is continually needing to work in us, to change us, to transform us. And in order for God to work in us, then there are times, many times, when God needs to challenge us, when God needs to warn us. And that brings us to the story of Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are brothers, and the story begins with them bringing their sacrifices to God. Uh, Abel is a, is a farmer, and Cain is a rancher. And uh, they each bring sacrifices from their, their lives. Abel brings uh, an animal to sacrifice, and Cain brings the, the fruit of his crops. And, and everything seems to be going fine until they're done, and God looks at them, and the writer says to us that God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he did not accept Cain's sacrifice. There's been speculation through the centuries over and over again about why God accepted one and not the other. Why is it that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and not Cain's? And there are all kinds of theories that have been promoted, but the interesting thing to me is that the writer doesn't tell us. The writer could have told us, but the writer does not tell us why God accepts Abel and not Cain. And I think that's because that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is not, make sure you sacrifice exactly right to God. The point of the story is, what do you do, how do you respond when God challenges you about something you've done that is not right? 
We may not know why God accepted one and not the other, why God didn't accept Cain's sacrifice, but I guarantee you, Cain knows. Cain knows why, because God says to him, why are you angry, Cain? Verse 6 says, Cain, this made God's decision, made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. And so God asked him, why are you so angry? Why do you look so dejected? I think Cain knows exactly the problem. And God knows that he knows the problem, and so he says to him, look, just do what's right. You know what needs to be done. The question is, are you going to do it? I've asked myself the question, why is Cain angry? I mean, why do I get angry when I'm challenged? We're embarrassed because we don't like to be challenged, because we just want to do what we want to do. I suspect Cain had a whole lot of arguments for why uh, he was angry. I mean, it might have been that, that it was sibling rivalry. I mean, Abel brings a, a good sacrifice, but I guarantee you there are times they're brothers, they, they have difficulties. Siblings do that. They irritate each other. I suspect that Abel did things to irritate his older brother Cain. I mean, I have two sisters. When we were growing up, they did all kinds of things to irritate me, and I did nothing ever to irritate them. I'm going to get a phone call this afternoon if they're watching, I'm sure. You know, this is just what happens. And I suspect that this wasn't the first time he was angry at his brother. But it kept building. And you know what happens when you do that, in the middle of that, you can almost sense Cain saying, but it's not my fault. It's because they hurt me that I did that. It's because they embarrassed me that I did that. It's because they treated me that way that I did that. We are experts at blaming people. It's from the very beginning, the moment Adam and Eve sinned, first words out of their mouth are blaming somebody else. And it's what we do. And God says to Cain, and God is saying to us, that's not really what it's about. What I want you to do is to take responsibility. What I want you to do is to hear my challenge, hear my warning, because what, what is, where we are right now can be dealt with. And you need to understand there are bigger things that this may lead to. And that brings us back to the road signs. You know, as I mentioned last week, uh, throughout the, the, the next couple of months, we're going to be thinking about uh, things in Scripture that, and using road signs as our, in our journey, using road signs to help us as a metaphor. And I had a number of people ask me last week about where I got the road signs. They were afraid that maybe I had just absconded them somewhere, but I hadn't. Uh, they, were, they were borrowed legally, I can tell you that. But as I'm thinking about Cain and Abel's story and what we've got here, the road sign that comes to my mind first is a railroad crossing. Some signs are about information. Some signs are an invitation to experience something. A railroad crossing is a warning. A warning about potential danger. And when we see this story, we see the danger. Cain does not pay attention to God. And the scripture says... Then in verse 8, one day Cain suggested to his brother, you get the sense that some time has elapsed. Let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel, and he killed him. He killed his brother. 
It's a very interesting thing to ponder that the very first story we have in Scripture about a human being sinning against another human being is violence. I've been pondering that. And it seems to me that there is a way in which all of the ways in which we sin against each other, or a great majority of them, are acts of violence. Now, they may not be physical violence. In fact, rarely is it physical violence. But we certainly can do a lot of damage to people with our words, our actions, our expressions, the various ways in which we relate to each other. We can create a tremendous amount of damage toward other people. You, know, you think about this with social media. It's a, great, it's a great thing to be able to use social media. It's a great way to connect with people and to communicate with people and to, to share all kinds of things with each other. It is, it's a wonderful thing. But it, like everything good, we have a, a knack for twisting it. And you all have seen it. You know, where people go off on social media on people. You know, as you think about the things that are, are really sort of volatile in our country right now, the election, race, the pandemic, the things related to that, there, there are all kinds of things that people are saying on social media that are hurtful and painful and angry. And there's a place for anger, and there's a place for expressing our opinion, but there's a right way and a wrong way to do that. There's a place for it to be dialogue, and then there's a place where it's not dialogue, and it's destructive and counterproductive. And I think it's important for us to take a step back and think about that. Is it possible that God might be saying to us in these moments, look, let me warn you about that. Let me put up a railroad crossing sign for you before you hit send. Just think about it. Think about it. It's, it strikes me that, that all of these things we're dealing with might well be an opportunity that we've been given as the church to show people how Christians react and, and, and handle things differently than everybody else. And instead of, of the postings of Christians looking an awful lot like people who are not Christians, we have the opportunity to set a different tone and to go about it a different way. It strikes me that our calling is really not, to, not so much to win an argument as it is to communicate and to, to express the Spirit in us. I think that's Paul's point when he writes to the Galatians and says, the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I mean, all of these things, this is, this is an opportunity for us as God's people to, to show that the Spirit is in us and the Spirit is driving us. Because in the end, is the most important thing winning or loving? Is the most important thing winning the argument or helping people to, to draw people to the, to the grace of Christ and to express the Spirit in us. And again, it doesn't mean we can't have differences of opinion and share those. But how we're doing it and why we're doing it and what's driving it is so important. 
And in all of our conversations, in all the ways in which we interact with each other, there are many times where God puts up a railroad crossing sign and the, and the, the, hand, the, the, uh, the arms are coming down and we have the option, we're continually given the option, do we stop or do we run through it? What I think is hard for us to realize sometimes is that what happens, that sin in our lives is often an incremental kind of thing. You know, one of the frustrating things about railroad crossings is that you, you, when you often pull up to them and you get them and, the, and the, the lights are flashing and the arms are coming down, if you stop, which you should, stopping, you're going to wait you're going to wait probably 60 seconds, maybe even two minutes before the train comes across the track. And sometimes you're looking down and you can't even see that there's a train coming. And, you, and we think to ourselves, you know what, I would have plenty of time to just drive around and go. But what we don't realize is that time runs out a lot faster than we think. And the sin that Cain experiences starts out with anger. And then I suspect it grows into bitterness. And then it becomes resentment. And then it becomes hatred. And then it becomes murder. I'm pretty sure on this day when they sacrifice and God confronts Cain, he's not thinking to himself, I'm going to murder my brother. But I do suspect he's thinking, I got to do something to that brother of mine. He begins to harbor that kind of animosity and anger, and it just grows and grows and grows. No wonder God keeps warning him. It is always incremental. There is a place where we have to step back and think, I could never imagine that where I'm at today would lead to that. I'm convinced Cain doesn't think that, and I don't think we think that. And that's part of the problem, is that all we're seeing is the moments we're in instead of the wider, larger potential for damage that could take place. These things are always incremental. I mean, so much of life is like that. The good and the bad is like that. We can grow toward, toward grace, and we can grow away from it. I was thinking about that the other day in terms of uh, working from home. You know, when we first started working at home, I, I read an article that said that uh, what you should do is maintain all of the same routines and things that at home that you were doing when you went to wherever your office was or your work was. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. So for the first few weeks, I wore khakis, button-down shirt, shoes, you know, I, the whole thing. And after a couple of weeks, I thought, why am I wearing my shoes here in the house like that? Because don't, I don't normally do that. So I took my shoes off. And a couple of weeks later, the, the button-down was replaced with a polo shirt. And, and a little while after that, uh, the, the khakis were replaced by jeans. And, if you, and now, I'm at the place where I'm wearing shorts and a t-shirt and barefoot. And, and I suspect you, under, you, you might not be that different. It's just this incremental thing that happens. I think that's what Paul is talking about when he writes to the Corinthians. 
You know, in chapter 10, there's an end of that chapter, there's this verse that talks about uh, how none of us are tempted beyond what we can bear, and God will give us all the grace that we need to get us through. But what we often miss is what leads up to that. Because earlier in the chapter, Paul is talking about the sins of Israel, and he lists them. He says their, their, their great sins were idolatry, sexual morality, putting Christ to the test, and grumbling. Now, when I read that list, the first thing that came to my mind was, you know that game, the thing that we teach, use with children to teach them, which one doesn't belong here? You know, and you look at this and you try to teach the children to how things connect. And so you have three of these squares are fruit and one is not. And the sock doesn't belong there. I saw a number of these on the internet. One of them had four numbers on it and the, the, what set the one apart was that it was a prime number. And I thought, boy, that's going to stretch our minds a little bit this morning. <laughs> and when I read Paul's thing, I get the same kind of feeling. Is that if you read that and you go, wait, one doesn't belong here. I get it. Idolatry, that's bad. Sexual immorality, that's bad. Putting Christ to the test, that's bad. Grumbling? I mean, come on. Grumbling is just something we do, right? Grumbling is just kind of a part of our lives. We, we just tend to grumble about things. It's sort of how we express ourselves. We grumble. I think there's more going on than just, oh, I'm not happy. I think what, what Paul is describing and what, what God is, gets so upset about in the Old Testament is that this isn't a way of saying, God, you've blessed us so much, but it's not enough. God, you've done so much for us, but I don't really think you're all that great. Psalm 106.25 says that the Israelites grumbled in their tents and they refused to obey the Lord. You see the connection this grumbling led to disobedience. And why is that? It's because the grumbling was their focus instead of God their focus. All the things that they didn't like were their focus instead of all the blessings that God had given them. And grumbling is one of those things that just seems insignificant. But it grows. And it develops. And it takes on a life of its own until all of a sudden... It's brought us to places we couldn't have ever imagined. And I think Paul is jumping up and down, waving his arms, saying, don't you see the red lights flashing? Don't you hear the train whistle coming? Stop. It's not just a little thing. Sin never is. So what should Cain have done? What should we do? Well, God says to him, sin is crouching at your door, and here's what you need to do. He says in verse 7, you'll be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin's crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And I, think what he, he's, I don't think he's saying, look, you just need to work harder at this. I think he's saying, Who's going to control your life? Is, is sin going to control you or are you going to control it? And the way to control sin is not to work harder. It's not to, to press more and think I've just got to be better, better. To, the way to master it, the way to rule over it, to control it, is to open our hearts to God. And all God is asking from us is a want to, a desire because the honest truth is, none of us can conquer sin by ourselves. If we could, the cross would have been unnecessary. 
But what we can do and what we're called to do is to say, God, I want to be rid of this. I don't want to hold on to this. I don't want this to grow and develop in me. I want to be free from it. I want to know the joy of that freedom in you. And I think that means, really at the heart of that, is having ears that are willing and ready to listen to the Holy Spirit. To pay attention to the railroad crossing signs that come up. To be in God's word so that he can speak to us through that. To connect our lives with other people so that we can encourage each other and be a strength to each other and let the spirit work through each other. It is listening to that still small voice, the witness of the spirit that John Wesley talked about within us. Because it is so easy to talk ourselves out of that. It's letting go of, of the pain. It's letting go of the anger. It's letting go of having to, to, of ourselves. And saying, God, I want you to do in me what you want to do in me. And sometimes we can start with, God, give me that desire. Sometimes our first only prayer we can pray first is, God, give me a desire to want that to you to do that desire. And sometimes it's, God, give me a want to to want you to do that desire. But wherever we are, that's all God is asking of us, is to want to. I heard about a guy who went to a counselor, and he said, I'm, just ha I, I, I'm having such a hard time resisting temptation, and, and it's really bothering my conscience. It's making my conscience so uneasy. And the counselor said to him, so what I'm hearing from you is that, that what you'd like is to, is to be stronger about temptation and, and strengthen your will. And the guy kind of hesitated a second, looked down, and sort of sheepishly said, well, actually, no. He said, if it's all right with you, what I'd really like is, is to weaken my conscience. And I think that's what Cain is saying. God, I don't want to hear it. I don't, I don't want to be a part of it. I'm going to do what I want to do. And the more we do that, the more we close our ears, the more our hearts turn to stone. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but railroad crossings are not as common as they used to be, at least when I was young. When I was young and, I, and even living in a big city, we were always encountering railroad crossings and, and trains. And sometimes it would be so maddening, you know, to have to sit there to wait 5, 10, 15 minutes. And, of course, the train would almost get done and invariably it would back up for a while, you know, those kinds of things. And now as a children, we would count the cars going by. But I can't remember the last time I crossed a railroad track. It's been a while. And the problem with that is that when you, don't, when you don't encounter those very often, you have a tendency to not take them all that seriously. I mean, I haven't seen a train lately. So when you come to one, you sort of just maybe glance a little bit and go. And we don't really think that it's as dangerous as it is. But the reality is that the consequences are often more catastrophic than we realize. And that is certainly what happens with Cain. What is most, most central to his life is taken away. He's lost. His livelihood, his vocation, 
as a, as a farmer, and now he's a nomad, and his family. He leaves his, the, the, the family and the community and the relationships, and, and I don't, I suspect, I'm not sure that God looked at him and says, let me think, what would be a good punishment to you for this? I think ra- rather, I think it's God is saying, here are the natural consequences of what you've done. And I suspect that, that Cain feels the need to leave because he has so much guilt that every time he looks at his parents, in his mind, he's thinking, all they're thinking about him is that's, that, that's the one who took my son. And everybody in the community is thinking, that's the guy who's a murderer. And maybe that's why he's afraid that people are going to take his life because there's something about him. He's just so paranoid and filled with guilt and shame that he can't see anything clearly anymore. Our sin is always communal. It always affects other people. Every time you hear of a car-train collision, it's not just the person in the car, as tragic as that is, but often there's crew members involved, there might be passengers involved, the community is often involved. It's always more. But the greatest, the greatest consequence of this is that Cain believes God has abandoned him. There's something about feeling guilt and shame that causes us to think God is done with us. I think that's what, why Jesus cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the first time in his life, he has felt the guilt and the shame of sin. And we believe God is done with us, particularly if the sin we're wrestling with is something that we can have continued to wrestle with. But the reality is, because Cain says, God, you've banished me from your presence, but God doesn't say, I'm going to banish you from my presence. And the reality is God never abandons anyone, ever. There are consequences, but God never abandons anyone. When Israel is at their lowest point and God is throwing up his hands and saying, I can't do this anymore, I'm done with them. In the next breath, the prophet Hosea tells us that God says, but how can I give them up? They're my beloved children. And this is who God is. And I'm convinced that that's really the point of the story. The point of the story is, this is who God is. In our struggle with sin, in our struggle with, with life, this is who God is. God keeps putting up railroad crossing signs. And the real issue for us in our relationship with God, is can we see them not as an as a irritation and as a restriction, but as protection? Because that's God's design. And that's why we come to this table today. Because this is a table of grace. And it's a table of grace of, of restoration. It's a table of reconciliation. It's a table of forgiveness when we sin. But it is also a table of protection and a table of warning and a table of, and that is grace also. 
The joy of the journey with God is not just that when we sin, God will forgive. The joy of the journey with God is that He can give us grace and He offers us grace to warn us and to keep us from the pain and the consequences of our sin. I have no idea what you might be struggling with today. But I just want to tell you, God is good. And God is for you. And God is enough. Holy Father, we thank you for all of your blessings to us, for your grace and mercy. Help us to see that so clearly. And help us to desire your grace in us even now. Father, we pray your abundant blessing upon the bread and the cup of which we are about to partake. May they be food for our souls. And may they bear witness to your spirit in us and for us. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen.